Hey there, welcome to the Faces of Marketing podcast, where we talk about the human stories and lives of different people and perspectives in the marketing profession and entrepreneurs and movement makers. This is your host, Ryan Buchanan, and I'm here with the one and only Think Big, Act Human, Be Who You Are and Let It All Hang Out, Janelle Isaacson, who started Living Room Realty 10 years ago. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Oh, thank you for having me here to let it all hang out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really nice intro. Yeah, yeah. Within reason, within reason, (laughs) but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So the way that this works is we start at the beginning of your life and get to know the, the child in you first and um, just kind of get to know how you grew up in Portland, yeah. uh, if you have siblings and your family, what that was like, what you did as a little little girl. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, I think one of the I, siblings, I do have siblings. I have a little brother, John Paul, and I had three older step uh, brothers and sisters on my mom's side and two stepsisters on my dad's side. And... Um, and they were all a lot older than me, which was always a lot of fun and meant that I got to get into trouble in an unaccelerated curve. Um, but uh, one of the cool things about my family was that I have a sister with my same name. I had a stepsister that's also named was Janelle, which isn't a common name. And so I've had the unique experience of, of that that I know in my heart that like we speak with a lot more than just the word because I've never answered Janelle for my sister once. It's like there's something in our tone or like there's just like a magic something inside when someone says your name that like is more than just saying your name. It's like an essence of you. And so I always, I like that. That was like one of my first lessons of like humanness moving in with my stepsister Janelle of like wow it's so crazy they can say our same name but we never mix up who they mean ever I love that the yeah. essence of Janelle the essence of Ryan <laughs> yeah that's cool I gotta I'm yeah. gonna think on that one <laughs> yeah um you're saying more than the words yeah so um when you were a little girl say you were eight years old and an adult came to you and said Janelle what do you want to be when you grow up what was your immediate response well this actually happened and it was actually a big ordeal for me because when I was eight years old I was in Capitol Hill elementary school here in Portland I only attended there for about six months um, because the teacher asked us to write an essay on that what do we want to be when we grow up and I wrote an essay on I want to be retired and she (laughs) told my mom that I didn't do the lesson correctly and that I had been complaining because the curriculum there was slower than my old school and she told my mom well she doesn't follow directions and truly gifted children don't complain and so my mom being like was like uh uh like pulled me out of this <laughs> pulled me out of the school I wound up going to a different school so um retired and I'm I've always been a really long-term thinker I've never heard that response from an eight-year-old kid, ever. I know. My grandparents were retired. It looked good. You go around in in an RV and spoil grandchildren and grow gardens. It's like, yes, sign me up. 
That's funny. That's funny. So then you grew up a little bit more, and where where'd you go to high school here in Portland? Uh, I went to Wilson High School for the first three and a half years, and then due to a uh, really horrible attendance issue I seem to be suffering from my senior year um, I was notified that I would not be graduating if I stayed at Wilson High School I wasn't going to meet the requirements for attendance to graduate even though I was in AP classes and you know playing in the band and doing lots of stuff I was selectively choosing where I was showing up to so I wound up um, moving to Estacada and finishing my senior year there where the graduation requirements were a little lower. And so um, the second half of my senior year, I really got comfortable with what it means to be the outsider. So your parents moved for you or (laughs) you just like lotteried (laughs) into that high school? No, um, so my parents were divorced. And my mom had actually, my attendance issue was my mom had actually moved to Seattle and I was living by myself my senior year in high school. So I was living on my own. Uh, I had a boyfriend that was already in college. I was, I was checked out to say the least and no adults around to be like, Hey, are you going to head into school today? So, um, I moved in with my, with my dad. Um, and he lived, he's a, he is a teacher actually in Redland or retired now, but, um, so that's how that happened. Got it. And so did you, what was the decision-making process to decide on choosing University of Oregon and being a duck? Um, I have to tell you that honestly, I, I, um, that I don't remember much of that year probably because it is just a blank spot there are a lot of things like I don't remember I somehow got to college and I'm glad that I did and I had got terrible grades that first quarter and then it was like a real wake-up call and I think like I finally kind of came back into my physical body there's a lot of like um some of the things that actually earlier when you were talking about childhood, like what was it like growing up in my family? I have a mom who suffers from some from uh, really debilitating mental illness, and she went through a major breakdown. That's kind of why she wound up moving, why I wound up living alone. And so that stretch of my life, I think that I was doing my very best to keep myself together and probably not coping in the ways that I should have a 17-year-old kid on her own might. And, um, and I feel lucky to somehow have gotten in, like, how did that happen? I don't really know. I think probably, you know, like, oh, that's what my friends are doing. I probably should get that in. I don't remember having a strong counselor that was like, you know, this is due. But, um, but it took me a while to, you know, I, I wound up losing my mom to her mental illness for a five year period at that time. And there were a lot of blank spots from just healing so, um, but one of kind of how I think I came back into my, into my body and in, in discovering myself and kind of in like being grounded again was discovering, um, the textile studio. So I wound up majoring in weaving and I think it was that getting to sit and work on something quietly for eight, nine, ten hours, sometimes a day, like you're just going back and forth really helped me kind of process and settle back down and kind of come back into myself and and start um yeah just feeling more grounded 
What are textiles? Are clothing and shoes and yeah, weaving, weaving. I, yeah, my okay. my the the areas um, that I really focus on were um, tapestry weaving. So big, expressive kind of art art with a capital A kind of you know wool hanging weavings, um, and then uh, natural dyes. Um, I actually had been in a pre med program through the tag program here. Um, Benson High School in conjunction with Wilson and I always thought that I'd do something in science or or health and so I kind of had that in that background and when I discovered the natural dye process which is a lot of chemistry and you know it, it's magic it's like it's just magic taking plants and learning how to uh, take chemical mordants and make it attached to the different fibers and spinning wool and silks and that type of thing that was really my jam um, I loved I loved that I loved like picking up something from the natural world and being like, I wonder what color this makes. Like, you know, what, what can I do? How can I get this to, to fix on a piece of silk in a, in a different way? So, um, that was, do, that was what do I loved. Do you knit or quilt or anything today? Yeah. Um, my grandmother who I spent a lot of time with, I was really, uh, I, I say it's kind of like raised quite a bit by both my grandparents who both lived here in the Portland area. Um, she was a sewer, and so I grew up, you know, hanging out with her, and I went to my grandparents every day after school and um, learned how to learned how to sew. So it was something I was already familiar with, and, like, still today, like, my daughter was, like, the most amazing bag of Skittles for Halloween. Like, I made her a full Skittles costume. Like, it's, like, we, like people were, like, what? So I, I like to use those skills, and I still weave. Like, that, for me, is, like, where when I'm feeling stressed out or I feel like I just need some time for myself, I'll get my loom out, and I, I, still, I still create. But people are always, like, what? A weaving degree? And I'm sure my dad was, like, I'm paying for what? <laughs> you know? But um, they were actually really proud of me (laughs) so fascinating that entrepreneurs have such different backgrounds from where they end up but somehow the thread no pun intended (laughs) makes sense when you when you weave the passions all together (laughs) man I'm gonna have a field day with this it's gonna be great yeah I know I know I just I'm I'm just the kind of person I get interested in something kind of all in I am all in and I have I feel like I have this my dad being a sixth grade science teacher I credit him for like allowing for me to be like he literally never said no to me like when I told him I'm le- I'm going on I'm going on Grateful Dead tour dad huh tell me more like that is this his classic like tell me about that and how are you gonna how are you gonna support yourself? And what are these T-shirts that you're silk screening? You know, and oh, you guys sell rice stream for a living? Wow! So you know, he would like he'd get enough information. I think that he felt safe to let me go. But he also, you know, I'd never got like, no, we want you to do X. You know, he sounds pretty judgment free. To- totally. I think he just wanted us to be happy, and um, and I think. You teach sixth grade for 30 years, you come out of that, you're a ninja to like deal with with raising kids. So it's pretty good. Uh, that's so great. <laughs> um, so we skipped over this a little bit, but yeah. high school, college, the types of activities that you're into, you know, sport, you, know you, you talked about weaving, things like yeah. that. But yeah. Uh, I know you're a big reader, but were you also into sports or dance or any any... 
activity type things? Um, I, like I said, my grandparents were really instrumental in raising me and going over to my, you know, I'd go over to their house after school. um, And my grandpa loved to golf and he drove everyone in the family kind of crazy. So I think they were like, well, teach Janelle to golf. And then grandpa's got a buddy. You know, so I actually played on the golf team um, for uh, all through all through high school. I started golfing when I was about eight. So um, which is really funny because most people, that's another thing. They meet me. They're like, really? Golf, huh? Um, And then uh, and then I my mom made me. I don't know what this is just the thing like you had to do in our house you had to play a musical instrument and I hated her for it but music became a huge part of my life and it's still a huge part of my life but um she was gonna make me play an instrument so in sixth grade she was like the flute would be nice so I brought home a trumpet and I was like oh yeah rebel <laughs> yeah you want the flute this is what you've got and so um I played trumpet uh, all through junior high, all through high school, and I played in. I didn't have time for having. I never. I didn't discover art. I think that's why in college I was like, I'm going to do weaving because I didn't have any time because I had. To, I was in so many bands. I was in the jazz band, the marching band, the orchestra, the brass ensemble. Um, so I was. Uh, I don't know if I knew it at the time, but I think I was probably a band geek. Um, but I also hit it. Like a lot of people at school didn't know I was in the band and they'd always be like, how come you never go to the football games? And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm there. I'm playing my <laughs> trumpet on the side. <laughs> Did you ever go to band camp in the summer? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it's, but man, it's whatever teenage group that you're with, you're definitely getting into mischief with them. So I definitely went to some good band parties and made out with great band guys and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Oh, it's so great. Um, I know. We made, we'd make a French horn mouthpiece makes like a really good chillum. So like we, like a pipe to smoke weed. And so like all the brass ensemble would be like, where's my mouthpiece? You know, and we'd be like, hee <laughs> uh, That's awesome. So you, you played music through college but then you really got serious about having a full-on professional band punk rock band after college <laughs> yeah, the professional. Serious professional yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. and i want to know serious the name of that band <laughs> oh, and oh, a little yeah. bit of the story oh. behind it because it's a really good story yeah i actually i didn't play music through college i kind of like put that aside and then I was doing the weaving thing um and um, when I graduated from college, uh, I stayed, I was staying in, in Eugene and hanging out and I had some girlfriends and we would kind of like meet a couple days a week in the basement of my boyfriend's house who had a band. And it was like, that was a cool place to go. And then, and one day I kind of looked at my girlfriend, Sarah and Holly, and I was like, this is so Jack. Like, why are we always, like, listening to their, like, it's, like, their band. Like, we should have the band. They should be drinking beers in our basement, you know? Like, we we should have the band. And, you know, my friend Sarah had this beautiful voice and grew up singing in her church. Um, they were both, both really involved in the um, Earth Liberation Front at the time. And, um, and, uh, and 
and I was like, oh, you know, we could sing about, we, we could sing about like the environment, we could sing about women's stuff and like we'd scream about it. And I was like, Sarah, you should be the singer. And she was like, oh no. Like she had a beautiful voice, but she's like, I'm too scared. You'd have to do it. I'm like, I can't sing. She's like, no, no, you, you'll be, I'll play guitar. You'll be the front person. And Holly's like, I'll play bass. <laughs> and then we found our girlfriend, Kate Wynn, um, who played drums and we started a band called Spread Eagle. And uh, that name kind of came from, uh, it, Sarah and Holly had mentioned it. They were like, we were thinking the name Spread Eagle. And I was like, oh, I love that. Because my sisters used to give me so much shit all the time. They'd be like, don't sit Spread Eagle. That's nasty. <laughs> and so I would always do that. And so I was like, yeah, that's a great name. It's a great name. It's very liberating. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what was a venue that, that like did you play in satiricon or oh yeah oh my god we're like on the top of satiricon right now doing this it's so weird um burbody's pan satiricon um john henry's down in eugene and tiny tavern um and uh one of the biggest shows um that we ever did was at the crystal box uh ballroom for a foxy boxing match which was the Suicide Girls. Uh, people might remember yeah. them. Yeah, they were supposed to be boxing, and um, and they kind of got into it, and they were like, wait a minute, this hurts. Like, what are we doing? We're not trained boxers. It, it, it was kind of a nightmare. And then the promoter wound up putting... Um, strippers on the stage that started boxing and they were like kitty cat boxing <laughs> and all the women musicians and the suicide girls we got together in the in the back of the house in the green room and we're like this stops now like none of us are going on stage if they're going to be putting those women out there like pretend boxing sexy boxing like this isn't what we signed up for and so um the women from um, hell's bells the acdc cover band she just goes out into the stage and grabs a mic and she's like we're all done. We're all out of here unless this shit stops and like in front of the whole show. And I was like, you're my hero. But, um, uh, but otherwise we played in just tiny little crappy, whoever have us, we did a national tour. It was really easy to do a national tour because there was no internet at the time. So we could just send a picture of like an all female band named spread Eagle. And like, that's it. And be like, book us. And then people be like, yes, you know, all the, the booking agents or, you know, 22 year old dudes they were like cool um and so like people are always like you did a national tour and I'm like it wasn't that hard like it just it was just before that and we exploited ourselves to get ourselves out there and like have fun and party across the country it's such a good story yeah. such a good story um by the way Burbati's Pan 1999 at North by Northwest is where I first met my wife Shannon Oh, so many there. good things happened. Yes. That was a good, yes. yeah, 1999. That was like Spread Eagle's heyday. We might, we might, we might have been <laughs> playing. Have you, yeah. yeah, we might have been playing when you met. Um, I was just thinking about that time, and my neighbor reminded me. Um, my neighbor is also an entrepreneur who owns um, the Trade of Music stores, and we got to talking, and I was like, he'd reminded me that there was that guy who used to dress up as a Frankfurter and play the blues. And I, I like, and he was hot. Like I was like in love with a guy that wore a Frankfurter costume. And then he worked at like one of the guitar stores. But I was like, oh my god! And he told me he's still around and he's Only married now. Only in Portland. I know. Only in Portland. I know. I was like, yes. Um. <laughs> so we're gonna shift gears a little here to the first job you got out of college. Yeah. 
because that's often the hardest one to get. Yeah. What was that like? And then I'm going to fast forward to how you started your company. Um, I, well, okay. So I graduated with a weaving degree. So there wasn't like a track for like, so you should go to go get a job. It was like, oh shit, I'm like an artist. Like what, what is that? So I, I graduated with, I, I think in our degree is an entrepreneurial degree. It's like, make it happen. And um, my first, I, mean, I had a lot of side hustles, a lot, a lot of side hustles. The band, the um, I made custom tables. I worked for other artists. I taught classes. I mean, I would just do a hundred different things to make a living, wait some tables. Um, but the first like real gig I got with my, you know, with my degree was a public art project in the city of Eugene. And um, I really have to thank my my good friend Mary Beth for that because I'd actually gone to work for her on a major public arts commission in Missouri where we did a series of benches and I told her I was thinking of applying for uh, this project in Eugene at a public pool and and um, she's like, you know, I'd rather apply together than have to compete with you for that because I want to apply as well. And I, you know, I'm looking back, I was so arrogant at the time, just like, well, because I, I had been doing this mosaic work forever and she'd hired me because she'd never done mosaic work, but she'd gotten the job. So um, this job in Missouri. So I was like executing kind of on her vision. And so I thought, you know, oh, well, I know how to do it. That's most of it, right? But what she had as like a real adult <laughs> was experience getting the job and showing she could deliver. So she really helped me uh, get my foot in the door in that way. And it was very generous of her to offer to partner with me. And we wound up doing a installation in, if, you, if you're taking the kids to swim in, in Eugene, when you come to the Amazon pool, there's a beautiful installation in their entryway of all the flora and fauna of, um, uh, of the Eugene area. And we collaborated, collaborated on that. And yeah. I love learning all this stuff among my friends that yeah. I didn't know. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So public public art commission, kind of, you know, yeah. it's like that's cr- that's kind of a crazy first job. Um, and, but really, I, st- I would say the first time I had a real job that someone was like, that's a career, um, was in real estate, getting my real estate license. Yeah, so talk to us about um, really the origin story of Living Room Realty and maybe transitioning from being a realtor to yeah. uh, creating this huge network yeah. of realtors and the model is a little bit different. Yeah, sure. So, um, I think for, I think it's really, I, I think what's really important about my story is that I moved, <laughs> the van broke down in, in Portland. I convinced my band to like move to Portland after we did our national tour. We, we were here and did it break down <laughs> down by a river yeah down by the river no <laughs> but like you know it was it was like okay here's where we can get some cheap rent we're close to home this was home base for me I was glad to be back in Portland and um and with that retirement like one day I want to be retired like when I grow up idea and knowing that like I'm an artist like here is how I make here's how I make I was really worried about my own personal financial security 
and um and i thought god if i could buy a house you know and i saw another girlfriend uh, another artist here in town jen augusta who had bought a house and she was renting out the be- the bedrooms and then was living for free and she was able to tour and keep her you know really keep true to like her artistic vision because she didn't have to hustle to like pay rent or pay a mortgage and so i was like i want to do that like i got going to figure out how to do that and another girlfriend of mine had just recently bought a house and like you know how did you do it and she's like okay you got to make 14 dollars an hour you do this oregon state bond program and you got to save up seven thousand dollars so i'm like i can grow weed and so i, I definitely can get seven thousand dollars and let's see okay at 14 dollars an hour i went and got a job selling jewelry at twist here in town, which taught me a lot about sales and like marketing art. It was amazing. And Paul who and Lauren who own that were great business mentors. Um, and they own a lot of real estate. Um, and so I kind of did what I needed to do. I didn't have any credit history. The only thing on my credit report was an overdue library fine. Cause I, I didn't have any, I didn't, I'd never like had a car loan. I'd never had a credit card, all this stuff. So like somehow I found a way to buy, a house and then I was so pumped about it that like we'd go play shows at shitty clubs and then I'd get done and I'd like sit at the bar and I'd be like did you know you could buy a house this is all you have to do and like you'll never get kicked out of your house again for playing the drums too loud because like all my friends were in the music and the art scene and and so that's kind of how I got my start into real estate was just like it was just a security minded, like for freedom, for artistic freedom. Like you've got to own a house. It's a twist on Susie Orman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She and I are like this. <laughs> um, totally. I mean, it is. It's like that financial security. I'm really motivated for sure by that and like long term planning and thinking. And so. Um, and so I, you know, I show up, I got, I got really lucky. My Casson here in town owns the largest local brokerage and it is an excellent company. Uh, for some reason took a chance on me, hired me and, um, and you know, I, my manager that works for me now was an agent when I joined Hassan and she's like, she says that she still remembers like me coming to my first meeting and she's like, who is that chick with all that eyeliner? Like so punk rock. Like, I think I like her and I'm about 15 years younger than all the other agents, but I had this niche. Like I had a captive audience. Like nobody else was going to punk clubs and looking for clients, right? No one's marketing to my people. And so I just, I like took off running. I like just so successful, was one of the top agents in my company um, year after year. And then, um, and then, you know, we did that for six years and, and then um, kind of started thinking, like looking around and being like, wait a minute, okay, so here's what people in my world look like. And here's our marketing brochures that are showing this like good looking straight white couple on a picket fence. And I'm like, who the f- are these people? Like, I don't know them. Like who's talking to them. And then it like the light bulb went off. It was like, Oh my God, no one's, n- no one's talking to the real people of Portland. Like nobody It's like, they're invisible. And I'm like, but I-, I can, like I could do that. I could build a company just around like, Hey, I see you. Like, I see you and you have a right to live here and build wealth and have success and be a part of this community. And I just was like, I'm that. It was like a giant art project for me. That's like, that is it. It was like, I've got to start a company. A mosaic. 
yeah, I got to do is, mo- you know, like make a community mosaic, you know. And so um, Living Room was born out of that. And the name Living Room, people always ask me about like, oh, what a nice place. It's it's so homey. And um, and I didn't even think about the actual physical room in the house living room when I was thinking about the name. It was this idea of, of um, I actually was working with a musician's wife. He was on tour and we were looking at a house and um, and she would like beeline to the basement and beeline to the garage. And, and the other agents that would be touring us would be like, I've never seen anyone look at the garage and basement before the living room. And I'm like, well, that's not where they live. Like they make music, they homebrew, like they don't, you know, like that living room is a place you put the couch, but for them, we're, we're looking for room for them to live, create a life. And then I was like, Oh, living room realty. Like that's it. Wow. Um, so you've grown really quickly, but it's mm-hmm. been organic and, mm-hmm. Has there been intentionality on how you market to other agents to come be with you? Or is mm-hmm. that more, is it mainly driven by word of mouth? And what, I know you're a really values driven mm-hmm. company. Is mm-hmm. that a key piece of the marketing? How, yeah. how, how, how did you get the word out? Yeah, that to attract agents and get business. Um, really grassroots. I mean, it's all kind of came out of that, like my punk rock experience of like what can you do for free like what can you do on the cheap and um in you know how do I reach my community of people and I think I mean initially I think that the company really really grew immediately because it we were just so different it was like an obvious place of like oh those are my people there you know, like every single real estate company was showing the same exact thing. And like, wait, I don't drive a Cadillac and have big hair and, you know, big fake nails. Like, I guess I have to go to living room, you know. Um, and but then, you know, then after after all, all you know, a little bit as we became a much more like legitimate company and we're competing for, you know, the, the top talent. Um, one of the things that we're looking for in the conversations that we're having is that we're really about helping agents live a more balanced life and let them and supporting them to really work with their clients with their best abilities. And so something the living room does and no other company does is that we actually do a lot of the administrative behind the scenes work for our agents so that they can deliver the great service to their clients. Really good salespeople, they just want to be caring for their people. Like the paperwork and all the rest of the stuff is not where their talents lie. Um, you know, they're out, they love looking at property and looking for deals. And some of these administrative tasks that we take off their hand is a way that we can give them the levity to not only, you know, n- not only to to be able to give better service to their clients, but also to enjoy their lives. Like agents are, a lot of people, you know, they'll say they're sharks or they're, you know, they got to compete against each other and they work long hours. And it's like, well, not necessarily if you don't, set it up like that or if there's support for them so that they do get that time to like connect with their community be at home with their kids go to the schools with their kids and I mean the thing is too is that it's not about just that they're going to be better people or they're going to feel better I mean that's where business comes from is those relationships so if we give them the levity to take 
take a lot of that workload off their plate that's that's not in their best highest purpose then they are out there meeting more people and making those connections and putting deals together so so you're structured in a way that you have more staff uh, yeah. per agent than yep. any other place and yep. then do you also do workshops that are Tony Robbins ish or like leadership development or kind of mm-hmm. uh, holistic uh, here's how to have a more balanced life type of training. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of broker brokerages do that with, they have like, they have training, but one of the things that, that, um, we've done is that, you know, we, uh, we have, we have, our brokers has among the highest producing brokers in Portland. Um, so they are, we, our brokerage, it's like a country club for brokers. That's a, it's a horrible analogy because we're, you know, there's other things about country clubs. You're the anti-country club. Because we're the anti-country club. But we're that place that you, you know, that you come. It is exclusive. We have high producers and then we are giving them like all of these services underneath them and supporting them. And also it's a membership. So they have a lot of say, just like, you know, just like any kind of club or membership that you join, it's about the other people that are members there. And our members are really, really collaborative. I mean, I was on the phone with an agent today. He's one of the top 10 agents in Portland. And he's, he does a tremendous amount of business. And he was telling me the thing that he appreciates so much about living room is that is the collaboration is that he's among people that he can support and that's open for that that he can give back and mentor but that also that's that like that people are there for him and that he just feels like he's doing more business as a result of that you know we don't have to guard it like we're all trying to create wins for our buyers and sellers and the more that we're collaborating and working together the, the more solutions we're coming up with together so Cool. Um, shifting gears a little bit to more philosophical, but you and I are dreaming big in this entrepreneur group that we're a part yeah. of and planning for some of the biggest named speakers to uh, come to Portland yeah. in 15 months to, yeah. to speak to us. But that's where my head is on who inspires me. And, and I yeah. wanted to ask that question of who inspires you and just yeah interested to hear because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that inspire for different pieces but I know you're really well read you also listen to a lot of TED talks and you know there's a lot to choose from and I'm just wondering one or two people that inspire you um uh oh my god great question um you know this is one of those questions that I'm gonna go home I'm easily inspired like I'm just, I just am like, I'm the kind of person that I'm like, you're amazing and you're amazing. And, and, um, and, uh, and I live from a place of inspiration and joy. So, um, but someone that made a really big impact on me and my thinking this last year was, uh, Timothy Snyder. Um, he wrote a pamphlet. It's lessons on tyranny lessons for the 20th century. And, um, and I loved, I, I loved, I loved reading it. One of the things that he talks about in the book is like, is that how important it is for each of us to review our own code of ethics within whatever, um, 
whatever vocation that we're in is like, go, go back to that because it's actually, it, it, his message is so self-empowering because I think a lot of people right now, especially in our political context and just in life, just feel like, what can I do as one single person, you know, and it just like everything seems so large and we're getting so much information that I feel like it's really easy to feel out of control of anything. And, um, and he says, you know, go back to your personal code of ethics and review those and recommit yourself to that because what happened in, you know, Nazi Germany wouldn't have happened if lawyers and doctors and police officers hadn't been willing to break their own code of ethics. Like systems of tyranny rely on participation by all of us. And... I just feel like it was like a rallying cry for me of like, because I feel like I'm searching like, what can I do? What can I help my agents do? What can I help people in my community community do, my kids do, you know? And it was like, that's right. Like, we all have a lot of power within whatever organizations that we, be- that we belong to. And it's, and it's rooted me more firmly in the communities that I am a part of. Like, no, I'm not on the national stage. Like, I'm not going to run for president. But like... I definitely can influence the National Association of Realtors. I definitely can influence our 130 entrepreneurs that were a part of an EO. So um, uh, I, I, that's really inspiring. And then, um, and uh, and I, it, and I wish I knew. I don't remember details really well. Like names are always really hard for me. But Patrice and I, and forgive me for forgetting her last name, but um, that started the one of the women that started the Black Lives uh, Matters movement. Um, I just finished her book, um, uh, When They Call You a Terrorist. And uh, how beautiful, like how she just came from her heart, like sharing really personal stories. It just, uh, amazing. Like I, I, and I'm inspired by anyone that's really brave enough. Like not only do they believe in something, but they're willing to peel back the onion to, to show you where the pain is. Like, this is how this hurts me. This is how this hurts my community. And, um, and I'm, and there's, there's a long list of, of heroes like that for me here in the city too. I got goosebumps right there. Yeah. I, uh, you and I share a lot of the same values. So, um, it's great to hear that. Yeah. So last question, um, wanted you to tell us in the audience, um, about, something that we may not know about you and the context for the question comes from maybe something that happened earlier in life uh, up through and soon after college, but um, that gave you the confidence to take the path that you're on now, some kind of defining moment um, that, yeah, that gave you that platform. and I, I, I always find it so instructive uh, to look at as an audience to go, oh, I would have never thought that, you know, for me, it was like going to Glacier National Park, driving across yeah. the country as yeah. an 18-year-old. And after I spent three months there, not knowing a soul when I got there and then having like it gave me the comment I could do anything after that I could travel around the world by myself you know that kind of thing I've had a I've had a few and then you have those ones that you look back on too and you realize oh god that's become everything like my mom said when I was really little that I was like I'm gonna be a nun 
And she was like, oh, God. She's like, she's a very progressive, like. Punk rock nun. Yeah, That's feminist. That's a good album, Mom, I know, punk rock nun. Um, and she was like, and, and, and instead of like freaking out, which I think she wanted to do, she was like, well, why, honey? And I was like, I just want to listen to music and look at the stained glass all day long. And then I wound up becoming a stained glass muralist artist and a punk musician so I just you know it was like the seed is there <laughs> so there's that stuff that you don't know but I would say it was one of the most um informative things um is that uh when I was in when I was in my junior year in college um uh I I, I didn't have very much self-esteem about my ability to learn languages. I had done really poorly in high school in Spanish. It was like the only class that I'd gotten a bad grade in in high school. And so I'd kind of told myself this this story that like, I'm not good at languages, you know, and then, and you have to take two years of language to, to graduate. So like, what am I gonna do? And a buddy, my dorm room was like, Indonesian's the easiest language. And I was like, sign me up, you know? And we have a East, uh, uh, Southeast Asian studies program at UVO, one of the best in the world, and Wisconsin is the other. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm in my Indonesian language class and it's about two months in, it's raining like crazy. I remember it clearly because I had my rubber boots on. At the time I was living in a, in a uh, double wide trailer on 40 acres uh, with some hippies. And, you know, like just getting out and like getting the gate, the property, going through the mud. It was just like, oh, this like winter is never going to end. And so this woman walks in to the class and she's like, you can get two years of language credit by going to Indonesia and studying, studying abroad for six months. And I'm looking at my boots and I'm thinking about the two years that I might have to sit in this classroom. And I'm like, sign me up. And so I had never been on an airplane no one in my family had ever traveled outside of the country. Like, and I'm like, I'm moving to Indonesia. <laughs> and so, um, culture shock, <laughs> culture shock. And it, but it wasn't like, it's funny. Cause like getting there, I was like, this is, this is home. This is my place. Like it was just, it was amazing. And you know, the sound of the mosque, uh, you know, five times a day and the food and the people and, and when I got there, they were like, they, you know, they said to learn the language the best, it's really best to move into a family with small kids. And they gave, there's 20 of us students there and they give the list of like all the families you can move into. And then they're like, and then there's the Hari Murtis and they've got like 26 kids. It's a, it's a kind of a crazy house. And I'm like, I'm going to need help. And I failed Spanish. Like, give me those kids. So I went up moving into this house. It's just this like crazy, chaotic, huge family where their word for lonely is the same for alone. So my first night, they're like, we don't want you to be lonely. And they're sending kids in to sleep with me. And I'm like, no, really? It's I'm cool. I'm okay to have this twin bed to myself. But um, it was just, I just like just went in deep and like took it on and um, I wound up moving also into an ashram during that time and a Hindu ashram and meditating, sitting meditation for five hours a day for a month. And I had had a lot of negative, had a lot, two things happened there. One, I had a lot of negative stories in my head about just a lot of negativity. I'd had it, like I said, it was pretty rough at high school. And like, I just, I was using my sarcasm to protect myself. I was using humor for evil. And I was like, I kind of saw that getting away from home. And I was like, I don't want to be wicked funny. 
I just want to be funny and I want to be like alive, like and heart centered. And like, and I saw myself clearly like within you either got to jump off this cliff or you're going to live a life and you're going to be miserable. You're going to hang on to this. So I moved into the ashram and meditated that shit away and like came back a new person. And like, now I'm like my thought process, like you can change the way you think. Like I changed the way I think. And two, what happened to me is I had always been pretty shy person and like, you go you move to Indonesia with like bright white skin and red hair and like you can't be shy and 26 kids in a family and 26 kids in a family yeah but like I'd get on a public bus and the women would like come around me and be petting my arms and just be like oh kasian putisakik which means too bad you've got that sick skin because it's so pretty and I'd be like those are freckles but you know people I'd, I'd lose my friend and I'd be like have you seen and they get everybody like in the whole market would point like yes we have seen your your friend you guys stick out and the so red-haired wonder the red-haired wonder so coming back that's when I you know I was like a, starting a punk band and having a million people stare at me or like fail or like have people watch me or be under the public eye which I'm under quite a bit now as a leader in the different positions I put myself in I wouldn't have done that had I not just throw myself into that and like put myself in a situation where all eyes were on me and I had a chance to reinvent my life and myself and just get, just get away. So great. I love it. Well, it's thank fun. you so much for being on the show, Janelle. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for it's thanks for the question. It's fun. I love learning about yeah. my friends. It's great. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.